Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. It might have happened something like this. Peter was more tired than usual, and he and his partners had worked all night long. They'd cast their nets in no less than five places, all the way from where the Jordan River enters into the Sea of Galilee all the way along the west coast to uh, Capernaum. They hadn't caught a single fish. And even on nights when they did catch fish, Peter knew it just wasn't the same as it had been 30 years earlier when in the very same fishing boat his dad had taught him how to fish. It was a living, but it wasn't a good one. They'd never starve. It's all the boats, Peter thought. There aren't enough fish for so many fishermen to make a good living. As he finished mending a net, he paused and looked at his scarred and calloused hands. His frustration about the fishless night made him feel weary. He loved his wife, he loved his kids, but doing the same thing day after day after day just made him very, very weary. He looked over at his younger partners. Uh, They were beginning to wash the, the Nets, he was more tired than normal, but wasn't about to let them show him up, so he got up out of the boat. When they actually caught fish, and they were getting ready to sell them, this was one of his most favorite times of the day, with a little breeze coming off of the lake, and kind of for a moment he wouldn't smell the stench of the fishing boat. John heard it first. Hey, look. Out of stubbornness, Peter finished washing the net he was working on and then he finally turned around and a huge crowd was coming their way along the shore. His, his brother Andrew had dropped his net that he was watching and he waited ashore to get a better view. He said, hey, it's that Rabbi Jesus, the one I told you about, Peter. I, you know, I spent a day with him. I'll introduce you. Now, there were actually many, many more people than Peter at first thought there were. Jesus turned to speak to the crowd, but they were all crushing in on him. So he walked over toward Peter's boat and Andrew grabbed Peter's arm. Rabbi, this is my brother, Peter, Simon. Peter looked at Jesus and began to size him up. Jesus had calloused hands of a workman. His clothes weren't perfectly spotless. He was lean. He had a strong build. Then he looked up and he noticed Jesus Jesus was looking at him like he really knew him. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. Jesus got into Peter's boat and asked Peter to just put it just a little bit out into the water away from the crowd. Then Jesus sat down, the crowd sat down, and Jesus taught them. Now, Peter was out in the middle of the boat. He was in the, in the boat with oars, so if you were the fish and the people were out there, he was just with a little breeze trying to use the oars and very quietly and unobtrusively keep the, the boat steady. And he would look at Jesus' feet and look at the oars and look at the water, but kind of avoid looking at Jesus and Jesus told stories, told stories about the kingdom of heaven, how it was like a man who found a treasure in a field, then hid the treasure and went and with great joy bought the entire field. Peter listened as Jesus explained that anger was a lot like murder, and Peter realized he was angry pretty much all the time. He remembered yelling at his wife the night before, and Peter knew his face turned red when Jesus started talking about men imagining sex with other women. Peter risked a glance at Jesus' face, and Jesus was looking right at him. Jesus paused, smiled slightly. Peter looked back at the oar in the water and back at Jesus' feet. When Jesus finished, he said, 
Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And Peter thought about maybe he should explain the dynamics of fishing to this rabbi. And, you know, it's always fun having, when you're a professional having people you know, tell you how to do your job who've never had it. Yeah. Never happens to pastors. Um, it's not in the notes. Um, but instead, Peter said, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So Andrew jumped in. They pushed out about 100 yards and let down their nets. And immediately the nets started to, to move and actually began to tear. There were so many fish. They signaled James and John. They came out with their boat. They filled up both boats to almost overflowing with fish. They were getting swamped. They barely made it back to shore without sinking the boats. They'd been fishing in these waters their entire lives. They had heard all of the exaggerated fish stories. No one had ever seen or heard of anything like this. They were overwhelmed, astonished, astounded, astounded. And in fear, Peter fell on his knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And Jesus smiled and said, Don't be afraid. Come with me and I will make you a fisher of men. And they pulled their boats onto the shore and they left everything and followed him. Jesus is astonishing. When he taught, people were astonished. When he cast out demons, people were astounded. When he healed lepers and cripples and blind people, people were struck with great wonder and surprise. He had, if we had been with the disciples observing the things that Peter saw, we would have been astonished, astounded, just overwhelmed. A.W. Tozer writes... What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If we are astonished when we think about Jesus, we will be highly motivated to worship God. If we are astounded when we think about Jesus, we'll be drawn to Him, we'll want to spend time with Him. If we're struck with great wonder and surprise when we think about Jesus, He will feel exciting to us Never boring. Now, if you're here today, maybe because of AT&T or for whatever reason, and you've never actually decided you want to be a follower of Jesus, we're really super glad you're here. And I hope that you'll stick around during this series and you'll actually ask God to just help you perceive Jesus accurately. And if Jesus warrants it, then maybe becoming truly astonished by him, maybe actually seeing him as, as beautiful. I've been following Jesus for almost five decades, and he never ceases to amaze or astonish me. I am amazed that I'm still amazed, but, um, and I can be boring, but he never is. We can try to make him tame, we can try and put him in a box, make him controllable, but following him is meant to be a heroic adventure. It's full of meaning, full of challenge, full of community, full of love. Pastor Luke did a great job last week starting off this series about the beauty of Jesus. We saw how compassionately Jesus treated the leper and realized that when Jesus actually reached out and touched that leper to heal him, there would have been audible gasps in the crowd. And when people saw the flesh actually change before their lives and become 
wholesome, they would have been astonished. Why are we talking about the beauty of Jesus? You were created in the image of God. That means that part of you, you're hardwired to appreciate beauty. Now, this is a picture of Carmel River Beach, sunset this week. Janice and I went for a walk to really enjoy some of this beautiful weather. Um, All the humans on the beach were enjoying the sunset. None of the dogs were. I love dogs. Dogs are great, but that's not what they enjoy. They they can't see colors for one thing, but um, we were hardwired to appreciate beauty. There's, from what I can tell, no, uh, for those people who think we, we were not created, there's no real advantage to it. There's Uh, A lot of things about music, beauty, and many other things about us are real conundrums, um, if that's what people think. But for those of us who believe that we were created in the image of God, that makes a lot of sense. Now, different people find different things more motivating. And for some people, the beauty of Jesus will be extremely motivating to them. There's actually a book. I have the book. I read the review. I have not read the book yet. But it, it says that it goes in cycles that different generations are motivated by different things, and that the current generation, those of you who are in high school or college, that a big part of their motivation will be beauty. My generation, the boomers, they say a big part of our motivation was meaning. So this is the... the, the I, I'll let you more know when I read the book. Actually, read the book. Um, you may be familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and this was a psychologist back in the... 1940s, I believe, and he put forth this theory that people have kind of a pyramid of, of needs, and their basic need is, for, is physiological, that they need to survive. So if you've ever been, anybody ever played in a swimming pool, and it gets a little rough, and somebody's holding you under the water, and you're out of air, are, are you thinking about beauty right then? No, what you're thinking about, I'm getting out of this, guy's, I'm going to get up there and get some air, because it's a physiological need. Uh, Similarly, we have a need for safety, which is a little different. Uh, if you live in a country where friends are getting murdered or th- things like that, then safety becomes very important. Uh, above that, he talks about belonging and love, and we really want people here to feel like they belong and that they're experiencing both God's love and the love of all of us. Above that is esteem, which talks about recognition and status. But what Maslow wanted people and hoped people would do is get these other needs met so then you can think about what he called self-actualization. And part of that whole value is the value of aesthetics, of beauty, which in our prosperous society where we're not really worried about where the next meal comes from. We're actually in Carmel in one of the safest places in the history of the world. We have lots of opportunity and lots of people who do wonderful things and are esteemed and and belong and all of that. We do think more about the top of that pyramid and especially we think about beauty. It's part of the image of God in us. It's probably true that we will be so incredibly satisfied in heaven that beauty will be an even bigger value in our lives. Sometimes people are so impressed with the beauty of Jesus, with his character qualities like we saw last week of compassion today, acceptance, uh, his self-sacrifice, his courage, his creativity even, his wit. Today, also in our, our narrative, his unexpectedness. Sometimes we're so impressed with his beauty that that's the thing 
that highly motivates us to be in a relationship with Him. Now that's our hope for this series, that it will help you to accurately perceive more and more of the beauty of Jesus. Maybe you've never stopped to, to think about that. But as you perceive His beauty, that you will be drawn to Him. You'll say, I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Would you open an app or a Bible to Luke chapter 5? And while you're finding that, I want to explain why I opened this morning with a story. And in that story, what I was doing was embellishing on the historical passage that we're going to read. Um, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I will take historical passages and do that. Now, I want to make a couple things clear. First of all, at this church we believe that the Bible is authoritative and reliable. We do not believe that about me. I make mistakes. Uh, every, you know, it's, it's funny because just to try and get better, I always listen to the audio of the sermon the next week. And every single time I'll find one, two, three places where I didn't mean to say that. That's not, I, but fortunately you guys fill in the blanks and correct me in your heads, which I really appreciate without um, throwing things at me. But uh, the extra details and the embellishments that I gave you in that initial story, they're not authoritative and reliable. Uh, but let me explain why I do that. Part of my responsibility is explain the Bible to you so that it becomes more and more clear. To be able to understand the Bible well, we want to understand what the authors meant when they wrote it. But there's a problem. They wrote it, some of them, thousands of years ago. They wrote in a different language. They wrote in a completely different milieu, culture. Wor their world was different, the ancient world. And so it's very complicated for us to understand what they meant when they wrote it. And part of my task is to try and build a bridge of understanding between our reality, our experience, our culture, our situation, and theirs. Because then that helps us to understand what the authors meant to say. Now, one way to do that is for me to study scholars and then list out what they say about back then. Well, there were probably too many fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, and it was hard to make a living, and when the crowd was pushing on Jesus. That's one way of doing it, and that's perfectly fine, and sometimes I will do that. Instead of doing that, I will sometimes attempt to put those kinds of details and conjectures into a story. Why? Well, we like stories more than we like lists of details, don't we? We remember stories better than lists of details. But there's another thing. Stories engage our brain, our emotions, in a different place than details do. And they connect to our emotions in ways that help us to remember them. So there's nothing wrong with studying some scholars and just listing some, some details. By doing it the way that I did it today, and we'll do it sometimes, it's just trying to make it engage you more and help you remember it. But let's walk through the actual passage together in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. Now, they're pressing in upon him. And, and Jesus is, at that point, the most popular guy around in Galilee. And have you ever seen, like, a really famous person, a celebrity, in a big crowd when there's no security force? And it can get ugly or difficult and, and problematic. Um, verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus' solution from the press of the crowd is very simple, very effective. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, 
Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now this is Simon's profession. He's frustrated. The local fishermen, they know the time of day that they're likely to catch fish and how to do it and all these things. I remember one time we were on a beach in Brazil and the men, the fishermen had gone out at night and what they did is they had this big long net, they went out in a boat and if this is the, if this is the shoreline, they went out in a big semicircle with the boat and then brought back the other end here and then they had you know, a couple dozen people pulling on this massive rope and I, helped, I got to help pull and then the whole net would come in like this and bring all the fish in and that was how they did it. Um, Might have been somewhat similar, probably a smaller net in... Uh, in Simon's day, in Peter's day. The locals of Simon's day, they fished during what they knew was the best time, at night. They didn't expect to catch anything after working hard all night. Um, they just cleaned their nets. It's kind of an aggravation to have to get the nets dirty again and catch a bunch of uh, junk on the nets. Simon does not think this is a worthy idea. Now, he's probably impressed with Jesus because he just heard Jesus talk, teach, and Jesus was an impressive teacher. And also, there was a respect for rabbis in general in the culture, so you probably were reluctant. You know, if a rabbi said, can I sit in your boat? You'd go, yes, you may, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, verse 6. But, but there's no indication that Peter thinks this is going to work. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, now you have to see the humor in this. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. And I, I just have to imagine, I just have to think there's a little smile on his lips, you know, a little twinkle in his eye when he told Peter to catch fish doing exactly the opposite of what any professional would do. Go fishing in the middle of the day after they'd just been fishing all night. And, and to me, this is part of the beauty of Jesus. Not the biggest thing I want to capitalize on today, but, but just this gentle knowing smile that I imagine, this twinkle of amusement in his eyes. You see, he, has, he knows this amazing thing's about to happen, but beyond that, he has great plans for Peter, and Peter is clueless. Our beautiful God has great plans for you. Our beautiful God has great plans for you. To involve you in things that will matter for all of eternity, to, to transform you, to make you into this splendid creature that C.S. Lewis says, if you were to see who you're going to become, how splendid you're going to become, you'd be tempted to worship yourself. That's how beautiful you're going to be. And the Trinity more beautiful still, and the creation, the new earth, fantastically beautiful. We're going to really appreciate beauty and part of that will be appreciating the Trinity. And part of that will be appreciating you. Our beautiful God has great plans for you. To belong, to be loved, to love others, even sacrificially. He's in the process of redeeming this fallen world. Now, he struggles. It breaks his heart when he sees us in pain. But it's a lot like when you're the parent of toddlers and they're teething. A lot of you have gone through that with your toddlers. If you have multiple children like us, then you went through that a number of times. And it's always hard to see your kid crying, and they just, there's just no relief when they're teething. It's just all night long sometimes, and it's hard. But at the same time, you say to yourself, this too will pass. 
And there's a sense in which Jesus is, a, is like the parent of a toddler who he weeps with us and our pain bothers him, but he also has this firm, calm, beautiful confidence because he knows what's coming. As Peter goes out in that boat, Jesus knows what's coming. Far beyond this great catch of fish, he knows that Peter, as he huffs out there to fish again, is grumpy. He's not just going to have the greatest catch of all time in that particular region, but he's going to have this amazing life. Just, just thinking of Peter going out and laying down, letting down the nets and scooping up all these fish, what would be something equivalent today? Most of us don't fish, don't fish with nets. Uh, maybe you're a real estate broker and you haven't sold any house in 12 months, haven't listed, haven't sold a house in 12 months, and it'd be kind of like Jesus coming in and saying, you know, I want you just to call the top 100, the first 100 people in the phone book and uh, offer your services and you do it and in the next month you, uh, in the next uh, two months you list and sell 20 houses. Unpo- impossible, remarkable, astounding. Or, or maybe you're a financial advisor and you know, you've lost a lot of clients or something like that and you haven't got any new ones and so Jesus comes in and says, I just want you to go to the grocery store and pass out some flyers and you do that for a, a, a day or two and all of a sudden in two weeks you've got 50 new clients, each of them have a portfolio larger than a million dollars. It'd be incredible. It'd be amazing. It would be astounding. Or Jesus comes to your house and he says, I want you to go and knock on the doors of four of your neighbors and I want you to invite them over to dinner next Friday. And you do it and remarkably they all accept and they all come and one of them says, you know, could we do this a couple of times a month and maybe could we kind of you know, study some of the stories in the Bible and talk about them? And over the next year, they see how beautiful Jesus is and become his followers. Wouldn't that be remarkable? Now that last scenario is a little different than the first two, isn't it? Because in the first two, I don't, probably Jesus, I mean, he could tell you to go pass out flyers or he could tell you to call the first hundred people in the phone book, but probably won't. But he most definitely has said that we are to go and make disciples of everyone everywhere, which means your neighbor qualifies. They're part of everyone everywhere or, do, or the people you work with or the people you go to school with. Uh, and Jesus wants to do some amazing things around here. And we hope that you'll be praying about that. I'll talk to you a little bit more about that later. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Now, it's not easy to astonish professionals in their area of expertise, is it? It's not, not, not easy. But Simon and his buddies are astonished. They find Jesus astounding. Simon realizes that something supernatural and holy is going on here, and he is in way over his head, and so he falls on his knees before Jesus. He's afraid. Now, do you realize that from this point on, Peter is the most successful fisherman ever on the Sea of Galilee. Probably no one had ever almost sunk two boats with the catch from one boat. It was the most exciting catch any of them had. In their professional world, this would have been a big deal. Maybe you don't like fish. Maybe it's no big deal to you. But the fish themselves were valuable. But beyond that, from then on, every time fishermen in that area were cleaning their nets, the fish story was going to be about this catch. And they might be saying, oh, wow, we had a great catch today. Of course, it wasn't as good as the time Simon 
almost sank two boats. I saw it with my own two eyes in the middle of the day in deep water, no less. None of the fishermen from the other side of the lake believe us, but I was there. I know it happened. Never happened before, never happened since. Only one explanation. It was that Jesus of Nazareth. What's more, Simon catches all these valuable fish, and then he just walks away to follow Jesus. Finishing verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now think about what Peter's going to see in terms of the beauty of Jesus over the next three years. He's going to see Jesus walk on water. He's actually going to walk on water some himself. He's going to see Jesus calm a storm, feed thousands with a few loaves and fish. He's going to see him heal cripples and lepers, blind people, raise the dead. He's going to hear his teaching, which the Bible says was very different than everybody else's, very impactful. He's going to actually be on a mountaintop when Jesus' appearance changes and becomes literally beautiful, dazzling. And the Father will say, this is my son, my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter saw so much of the beauty of Jesus. And he becomes so convinced over these three years and after the resurrection that he spends the rest of his life telling people about Jesus. And actually is crucified because of telling people about Jesus. But he's fine with that because he knows it's true because he saw it with his own eyes. It all really happened. You know, if you wanted somebody to tell you about something that is tough to believe, Peter's perfect. He is a salt of the earth, kind of blue-collar, down-to-earth, Missouri show-me kind of person. He's a no-nonsense sort of guy. All of that's beautiful, but there's something else beautiful about Jesus in this passage that I don't want us to miss. Now, today in our culture, if somebody came up to you and you had a job and they said, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, would you drop everything, walk away from your mortgage payment, walk away from everything and do that? No, we find that very strange. So let me build a bridge of understanding of that culture. In that day, there were rabbis and they came and they said, come and follow me to people. But the difference, the beauty in this one is how the rabbis did it compared to how Jesus did it. A rabbi would usually have a group of young boys who would come and he would, they would memorize chapters of the Hebrew Scriptures. And then they would talk about it. And so he would look for the very best memorizer who showed tremendous intellect in discussing the Scriptures and then had great discipline in keeping the Pharisaical laws. And that's the boy the best of the best, that he would say, follow me, be my disciple. It's very similar to if you want to get into, you know, some very select university, Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, uh, they're going to look at your academic accomplishments and potential, and they're going to try to take the very best of the best. That, that's what they try to do. We understand it in that sense. But the rabbis of Jesus' day, they would have only picked the best of the best. They did that for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was a reflection on them. If their disciple came out well, then people would say, ah, oh, yes, he was trained by Rabbi Joseph. And if their disciple came out and started saying a bunch of stuff that was really dumb, uh, he trained with Rabbi Mordecai, you know. <laughs> so when the rabbi picks his disciples, his reputation is on the line, as well as he wants somebody that you know, is good to engage with and can, and can be a good rabbi. 
The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they are not promoting a religion of the masses. They looked down on the masses. They felt they were better than the masses. They felt that the masses, because they were being sinful, had brought all of this oppression upon Israel. They were smarter, in their own opinion, more disciplined, more obedient, more pleasing to God. Now, Jesus has a lot to say to them about that because that's not how God sees it, but that's how they saw it. They were promoting a sophisticated religion of the elite. So when Jesus chose rough, unknowledgeable, unsophisticated fishermen to be his disciples, people that no rabbi would ever have chosen, he sent a message, an astonishing message. Do you see it? There are at least two reasons why Jesus picked fishermen and surprised and astonished everybody. Do you remember the story of Gideon? How he had hundreds of people to go out and uh, fight a war with the Amalekites, thousands. And God said, too many. Too many, because you'll think you did it. And he had him send most of them home, and then they just, uh, God routed the enemy, and they, they won, and it was very obvious that God did it. In the same way, it, Jesus not picking the best of the best, it's very obvious that it's God's power that's going to use someone like Peter to revolutionize the world. Also, Jesus picked Peter because of you. And I'm not saying you're not one of the best of the best or highly talented, but whether you are or not, that's not the point. Because all of us are sinful. All of us fail. All of us are like Peter and on our knees say, Lord, I'm a sinful person. And what does Jesus say? You're right, go away. Now he says, come on. I'll make you a fisher of people. It's astounding. You may be astounded because you know you. You may... Be thinking, no, Jesus would never want me. I have these thoughts, I have these desires, I have these attitudes. You know how I know you do? Because I do too. We all do. We all have things inside of us that we say, how could God love me? And the astounding thing is that he does. Peter wasn't lying when he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. That's who we all are. But Jesus doesn't depart. He says, come on. You are exactly the kind of flawed person I want in my family. And that's what he's saying to you. We get to be an integral part of God wooing and winning hearts to him. We can be part of him introducing people to Jesus and collaborate with that. And for all eternity, we will be grateful that we did that. So no matter what your career is, you are still a full-time follower, a full-time missionary, a full-time, in full-time ministry. If, if you're in real estate, then every contact you make, you're an ambassador. If you're a teacher, you're an ambassador. If you're a student, how you deal with finals or other things, it's all helping to shape whether or not people think that Jesus is beautiful. I want to ask you to do two things this week. And the first is, as we saw from the, the, the wreath and prayed for the kids, God answers prayers. And we would really like to see God use us as a group to introduce a lot of people to Jesus this year. 
So what I'm asking you to do is to either on your phone, you can do it now on your phone, or when you get back home or on a card there and think, just let God bring two or three people to mind and begin to pray for them regularly, maybe five, six, seven times a week. Just pray for them and ask that God, these are people that are not yet followers of Jesus, and ask God to just woo and win their hearts, and maybe even use you. Might be your neighbors, might be fellow students, might be someone that you work with, but begin to pray for them regularly. Now, there's something else I want to ask you, and it's different. I've never asked you to do this before, okay? Uh, I got your interest. Um, when we know stories by heart, they mold our heart. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastors Dorothy and uh, Pastor Luke and I, we, we went to this conference for our denomination. There was one woman's seminar that I went to, and she talked about how she's been invo- involved in this project where they've gone into prisons, and rather than have people memorize Scripture or a lot of theology, they've just had them uh, commit to memory the basics of different stories in the Bible. And they found that once they have, I think she said, 30 stories down that they can go and tell somebody, then it kind of changes how they see Jesus and and life and so forth. And, you know, in in the book of um, Joshua, in the first chapter, God says we're to meditate on His Word every uh, day and night. So what I'm going to ask you to do is in your own words, three times this week, in one minute or less, tell this story of Peter to somebody. It probably should be another follower of Jesus and somebody that you're... But if you're not a follower of Jesus, do this with somebody. Ask their permission. Say it was an assignment from your stupid pastor. And, um, but you, will, you may find this to be very effective. Each week I'm going to ask you to repeat a story several times to people. And you might say something like this. This takes about a minute. You say, one time thousands of people were pressing in on Jesus so he couldn't even talk. So he got in Peter's boat and said, Peter, could you push out just a little bit from shore? And he sat there and taught the people. And then when he was done, he said, Peter, why don't you go out to the deep water and let down your nets for a catch? And Peter said, Master, we've fished all night and caught nothing. But because you ask, I'll do it. And they went out about... 100 yards or so, and they let down their nets, and the nets became so full so quickly, they started to break. They signaled for another boat to come. They filled up both boats and almost swamped the boats. They came back in, and they were just astonished. Peter realized something holy and something supernatural was going on, and he fell down on his knees in front of Jesus and said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for men. And they left everything and followed him. Now, can you do that in your own words? I bet you can. I'm asking you to try it three times this week and see what, as you you gain some of these stories, what they do for you. Being called to follow Jesus and become fishers of men and women is the greatest calling in the world. And all of us that are followers of Jesus, we are his ambassadors. And Jesus... Can catch, he, he demonstrated that day with Peter, he can catch fish anywhere, anytime. He can also catch people anywhere, anytime. He knows exactly what we need. And he is very capable of wooing and winning our hearts. He's, been, he's doing it all over the world, and we would love to see him do it more here. Do you ever just look in someone's eyes and just kind of get a feel for what's going on, whether there's tremendous sorrow or disappointment or struggles. Remember Jesus' beautiful compassion with the leper last week. 
Remember Jesus' beautiful acceptance of a sinful man that no rabbi would have picked this week. No matter how disappointed you are with yourself, no matter how disappointed the person whose eyes you're looking is with themselves, Jesus wants you and he wants them and his family. And that's one of the most beautiful things about Jesus. And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick. Would you receive God's Spirit? Whether you are a follower of Jesus or someone just considering Him, may God's Spirit go with you. As you think of the beautiful stories of Jesus, the beautiful narratives that actually happened, may the beauty of Jesus Overwhelm your heart this week. May you share that story with others. May you be filled with joy and confidence because of this beautiful Savior. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.